on this episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. I have a passion for this kind of entertainment. And I have since I was 10 years old, which is when I was first exposed to it. Uh, when I was 10, I went to a circus with my family it's called the Clyde Beatty Colbar, the circus. They had a sideshow there and I got chosen out of the crowd to pull the sword from a sword swallower. And I was like, that's for me. Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 101 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get into this episode of the show, I want to take a moment to thank everyone for checking out the last episode of the podcast, celebrating the milestone of hitting 100 episodes. We took a trip down memory lane, resharing highlights from some of my more recent episodes, including conversations with Jonathan Jossel of The Plaza, Sam Novak from Vegas Unfiltered, Matthew O'Brien with The Tunnels of Las Vegas, and much more. If you haven't listened as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 100, Another Damn Clip Show, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, enough of that. On to the show. My guest for this episode of the podcast is a somewhat unique Las Vegas performer. John Shaw is a magician illusionist, and sideshow stunt artist. He spits fire, he swallows swords, he eats light bulbs, he dangles paint cans from hooks attached to his eyelids, and this is just a sampling of his repertoire. Over the years, John has appeared on numerous TV talk shows, including The Howard Stern Show, The Tonight Show, and The Late Late Show with James Corden. He's toured as part of Masters of Illusion and The Illusionists, Currently, John appears regularly at Zach Baggins Haunted Museum, where he shares his knowledge of the paranormal and the occult with visitors, as well as freaking them out by performing his various stunts. And for the last year, he's been working as part of a show called Late Night Magic, which runs every Friday and Saturday night at the Alexis Park All Suite Resort, Las Vegas. John and I talked about the weird, crazy road that brought him to Las Vegas initially, all of his past TV appearances and the lessons he learned from them, what got him interested in magic and sideshow performances in the first place, and some of the various injuries he sustained as part of those performances. Please enjoy my conversation with John Shaw. I'm originally from New York. I grew up in New York, and I moved to Las Vegas uh, when I was 23 years old, uh, and that would have been back in 1995, and um, I came out here uh, like a lot. Well, at the time, I was with a, a, a lady, and, <laughs> and um, she was like, hey, uh, we had been, we'd been dating for a little bit, and uh, we were getting serious, and uh, she was like, I really don't want to live in New York anymore. I want to live anywhere else. I just don't want to live in New York. And I'm like, all right. She's like, pick anywhere you want to go. And I'm like, 
what about Las Vegas? Because magic. <laughs> so she was like, okay, well, let's go. I had some, I had a friend out here. Uh, and uh, she was like, yeah, you can stay with me. Come out. Uh, you can use my car. I'll drive you around. We'll go do some fun stuff. She worked. She was a stripper. So she worked in nighttime so we could go out during the day and do stuff. And at night we could, you know, and then I just would go pick her up when she was done, uh, you know, doing her thing. And uh, so it was kind of cool. And she was a local. She was born and raised in Las Vegas. So she knew like all the stuff. Uh, Vegas in 95, considerably different than it is now. Right. It was right at the tail end of 94, I should say, because we, we, I moved here in 95. So I came out in the end of 94. Uh, while we were out here, um, I got married to said lady. Um, needless to say, that didn't work out, but that's besides <laughs> the point. <laughs> but we moved, we picked up all of our stuff, and I, I literally packed the entire truck, um, with everything I had in life. Um, and I came out here and I didn't have a job. Only thing we did, we came out here, and this is before the internet, too. So you gotta, it was like no online stuff you could do with renting apartments or anything. We came out here, we looked around at a bunch of apartments in an area of town that she said was good. And then we found an apartment. I remember my first two bedroom apartment was on Tropicana, West Tropicana and Lindell road. I still remember the, the cross streets and I pay, it was a two bedroom apartment, uh, upstairs floor, vaulted ceilings. So really I had a fireplace. It was great actually. Uh, and it was seven fifty a month. I remember the price. <laughs> uh, you couldn't get that same apartment for seven fifty now. Uh, but, uh, but back in the day, that, that's what it was. Uh, so we moved here. I didn't have anything. I didn't, I knew, I knew one person. And I came out here and I knew there was a magic club here in town uh, that met every Wednesday. And I was like, literally week one, went to the magic club and started making friends. And, uh, and that's how I started. My first magic friend out here was a gentleman named Kevin James, um, who is a very well-known magician and invented a lot of amazing magic tricks. Some of which I use in my show, David Copperfield uses like all kinds of stuff. And, um, he was actually, the, I, when I got married, he was the best man at my wedding because he was the only ma male that I knew out here. <laughs> uh, so I was like, hey, man, I know we just don't really know each other that well, but would you be the best man at my wedding? So, you know, we did that. And it was it was kind of a spare of the moment. I got married by Elvis, of course. Of course. Because, yeah, I was like, I didn't, I knew it probably wouldn't last, but at least I would have a fun memory of <laughs> being married by Elvis. At least that was a good memory. Um so, uh, but we were like, you know, we were, you know, she was like 21 and I was 23 and, you know, we just didn't really think much about it. We just fucking did it. And, uh, and it seemed like a great idea at the time, but whatever. Uh, and then, um, yeah, I came out here, no job, no promises of any jobs. And I, I was like, okay, well, I got to go find something to do. My very first job in Las Vegas, not entertainment related at all, uh, was, being a bodyguard for the Grateful Dead when they were playing a, a big show out here. That was my very first job. Uh, I got hired on as a, as a security guy for this security company and they did all kinds of big events and I got hired. They looked at me and they're like, Whoa, you be, you look scary. Uh, <laughs> so we'll stick you with the band. Uh, <laughs> so I wound up bodyguarding Jerry Garcia uh, for four days while they played uh, the silver bowl out here. And, uh, they, they, they even, one of the first things they asked me, like, are you a fan of the Grateful Dead? I was like, no, I hate their music. They're like, perfect. Then you're going to bodyguard the band. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first gig. And then I started working for a company called Little Darlings, 
which is run by Deja Vu, which is a strip club. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I worked as a doorman and then I, I, they realized I wasn't stupid uh, and that I was, I would, could be very useful. And so they made me a floor manager because I was good at making sure everybody did what they were supposed to do. And I was very efficient. Uh, so then I did that for a while and then I got my first break. And I met a guy at the strip club who was a friend of one of the managers who was a singer, like a lounge singer in town. And he was friends with Debbie Reynolds. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and I don't know if people know who Debbie Reynolds is. Debbie Reynolds was a really big star back in the day with like Sinatra and everything. And she's the mother of Carrie Fisher, which is Princess Leia. So Debbie Reynolds had her own hotel casino out here called the Debbie Reynolds Hotel and Casino. On, down on Convention Center Drive, if I remember correctly, between Paradise and the Las Vegas Boulevard. And uh, she had, so she had a big show at, at night. Then she had an after hour show. And this guy was like, you know, when, when he met me at the, at the strip club, he was like, you don't, this isn't your, your like goal, right? To be a strip club manager. I was like, no, what do you, he's like, what do you do? I was like, I'm a magician. He's like, really? He's like, you do magic? So I'm like, yeah. So we, I talked to him for, you know, a couple of weeks. And he was like, well, I'm friends with Debbie Reynolds. Do you have a videotape I can give her to see your act? And maybe I can get you a spot. There's no money, but I'll get you a spot. I'm like, don't give a shit. Um, so I, I went and was like, oh, shit, I got to go get a videotape made because I didn't have I didn't have a promo tape. I had nothing. So I found a local guy who had a studio here in Vegas. I went, I think it was, I think it cost me $125 and, uh, and he shot and edited the video and, uh, made me copies and everything. And, uh, and, uh, I, w- I went and, and gave it to the guy and he was like, yep, Debbie Reynolds wants you gave me the date. I asked for that date off from the strip club. They refused me. And I was like, well, I got it. I got to take that. I got to do this. And he's like, well, you know, you got to work. I can't have, I don't have anybody to cover you. And I'm like, well, then I quit. And he's like, you're going to quit for this? And I'm like, yeah, because I don't care about this. And uh, so I quit. And, uh, and I and had no job. <laughs> after that. Uh, so, but I didn't care because that to me was worth doing because it was important to me. And, and that was my passion and not, you know, being around, you know, 200 naked girls who are annoying as shit uh, most of the time. Um, <laughs> but uh so I did that and she, she was really, she loved me. It was like her Rip Taylor was also there. And, uh, and I was just like, as a kid, I remember seeing them and my mom and all them loved all that stuff. So I was always exposed to that as a child. And then I was like, man, I'm going to do that. I'm I'm just going to do this. And they, they all came to me after the show and they were like, you, you got something. You should really work at this. You should do this. I was like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, that was my first little shot. And, uh, there was a couple of people there who, who were like, Hey, you know, there's a, um, there's some shows at the Excalibur. They have this free stage upstairs on the second level by the buffet. And they have acts all day long, variety acts all day long, magicians and jugglers and all kinds of different stuff. And they're like, you should go there. And I was like, okay. So I went over there. And I watched shows all day long, every day, because I had no job now. So I used to go and watch shows all day, every day. And I started to befriend some of the performers. And I was like, hey, who do you talk to about auditioning to, to perform here? Now, I didn't ask the magicians because obviously they would think I'm coming for their job, which you are. Uh, 
so I talked to the contortionists and the jugglers and they were like, Oh, you got to meet with this guy named Mike Hartzell. I was like, okay, how do I do that? And they were like, Oh, well, here's the phone number. Blah, 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 blah. So then I made friends and then I got the information that I needed. Got my little promo kit, went, made an appointment to go meet him. Uh, went upstairs to his office. Of course he wasn't available. Uh, so I left it with his uh, secretary. And then I proceeded to call that man every week for like three months <laughs> until finally he called me back and told me to stop calling him <laughs> that he had watched the tape and that the, <laughs> the next audition was in June. And I was like, okay. He's like, so call me. He gave me the week. I don't remember what it was now, but it was this second or third week in June. He's like, we're going to hold auditions. I'm like, great. He's like, call me then set up the time and we'll get you. To so like clockwork, boom, set it up, did the audition killed it and i got the job and that was my first professional job i was doing uh three shows a day six days a week um on this stage and uh and i was making 650 dollars a week to do that <laughs> which back in 1995 96 wasn't too bad yeah um uh and then the, one of the cool things is then they uh they had extra things you could do to make more money. So I would host slot tournaments and all kinds of any kind of goofy thing uh, that the hotel had. I would have to dress up in costumes and medieval costumes and then do all this stuff. So I was the slut of that <laughs> whole thing because anytime stuff came up, cause I, I was, uh, I, I, I I love, I don't mind talking on the microphone and I don't mind talking to people I do not know. And I'll talk to anybody about anything. I don't care. So I would host these giant slot tournaments. I get everybody riled up and like, come on, hit those feeder buttons like a rats that you are, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and they loved me and I would wear dumb hats and I would just like, just do stupid shit. <laughs> and they loved it. They just absolutely loved it. And then I got, uh, I got offered a position in the King Arthur's tournament show. Uh, first, the first gig that I got with them was to be, it's called the, it was called the huzzah. So at the beginning of the show, right before the show started, 15 minutes before the, the, the main show started, me and another individual would go out into the arena. Uh, and for those of you guys who haven't been to this, this show, it's a giant oval and, uh, it's a, a, and it's all dirt and they do jousting and sword fighting. It's like medieval times. Mm -hmm. Very similar concept, pretty much the exact same thing, except well, way more choreographed uh, with like cool pyro and like, you know, Vegas, it's Vegas. Right. right. So and it's a dinner. It's a dinner show. So we would get people riled up and then we'd like we'd uh, announce like birthdays like this person sitting in, you know, Lord Kensington's section is having a birthday. And, uh, and then we uh, like sometimes people were going to get married and I would do like a, I set up a special thing with a magic trick and where the guy could produce the ring for the girl and then propose. So we would do stuff like that. And I just, yeah, I hoard myself out. Like I would do it. I just did everything I get my hands on. I did it and never said I, my one big thing. And I always told this a lot of performers never say no, mm -hmm. pretty much never say no, especially when you're starting out. Uh, take everything because everything, even if it sucks, even if the pay is not great, that learning experience and that that time doing that particular thing is going to be valuable down the line for you by a, by a long shot. And then you can turn down those things because you've already gotten that experience. You don't need it anymore. And then uh, and then I wound up uh, getting into the show for a little bit as well, uh, playing the bad guy. 
And uh, because I had a beard and I really, really long hair at the time, my hair went down to like my waist. And um, I was the only guy allowed to have a beard in the show because the gentleman who created and ran the show um, did not like bearded men or men with hair anywhere on their bodies. And uh, it was like only ugly people have facial hair. But he was like, for you, it's fine because you're the bad guy. So it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the deal. It was one of those life lessons where you just look at somebody like, wow, you just like shaven, smooth muscle boys. And he's like, yes. yes I <laughs> and all of them had giant cod pieces. It was fantastic. <laughs> the show is much different now. But back in the day, it was uh, it was a thing to be seen. The girls very covered up. Boys. Not, basically not, completely not so naked. much <laughs> yeah great uh i did not do that <laughs> yeah, no not for me but um yeah so then uh I, I i was i did that for like two years and then uh and then i left there because i needed to my artistic side of me needed to grow and i could not grow there mm. Um, they wanted a specific kind of thing and when i tried to do more artistic magic and cooler magic and stuff um they got mad at me about, so I did a, I was doing a trick with a cigarette uh, and I do not smoke. I have never smoked a day in my life, but there are some tricks with cigarettes that are really cool. And so I used to do this thing with a cigarette and uh, they were like, they got oddly enough. This is, you know, this is like back in like 96, 97, they got com- letter complaint letters that I was corrupting their children by doing a trick with a cigarette in a casino and for adults with half naked cocktail waitresses everywhere and gambling and smoking going on everywhere. Cause back then there was no non-smoking anywhere. You could smoke anywhere in the hotel. And, but I was the bad influence on their child. So they were like, Hey, you got to take it out of the show. And I'm like, no, like, well, if you don't take it out of the show, you're not going to get re-upped on your contract. I was like, well then don't re-up me. Yeah. And then, and so we parted ways. Uh, Hindsight probably not the best decision uh (laughs) because you know it was a steady gig and i was like fuck you i'd do what i want um not necessarily the best hill to die on you know so i but but then i had to go into the hustle and then then we had to like find constantly go out and find gigs but in this town the great thing about this town is there's well especially back then too lots of conventions every week there's a convention here uh right now not as much obviously but back in the day it was like convention convention corporates 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 constantly nonstop. uh and that's all i did man for years all i did was bang out of these things every, every week we were doing we were gigging multiple times a week so we were all good to go and then uh i got into the fair market which is like county and state fairs and all that kind of stuff and and those are really good i i like fairs i love carnivals and circuses in general as a, you know so for me i can never get enough you know uh, the smells of a carnival to me are just like so fun right like you know funnel cake and popcorn and cotton candy i just i, I can never see enough of it mm. and uh, so getting out on fairs was super great and i did that for for years and years and years and then i got I had a really good agent for a while and, and he was booking me constantly for stuff. And um, then I, uh, I moved back to New York because my grandmother had gotten ill with cancer and my family called and they're like, listen, if you're going to see her, this is going to be the time because she ain't going to be here for much longer. So I was like, okay, stuff had kind of stalled out here for me. So I was like, okay, maybe a change of scenery is a good thing. 
And uh, so I picked up everything, moved back to New York, um, stay there, you know, and, and started getting work again um, fairly quickly doing shows and whatnot. And, uh, and then after my grandmother died, I stayed around for a little while. My grandfather died. And then I was like, I'm, I was coming back. And then I started getting booked more out here again. Mm-hmm. It was weird. It was like for a few years, like it was nothing. And then all of a sudden it was like, now I'm coming back. I'm flying out a couple of times a month. So I was like, screw it. I'm packing up my stuff, coming back. And uh, that was the last time I moved back. <laughs> and I've been here ever since. But I was going back and forth for a while. I was back and forth like uh, several times a month. Yeah. So it just, it was just, yeah, it was pretty hectic and stuff. And then, uh, and then I came back here, went back doing fairs and, and colleges and all, all that kind of stuff. And um, my very first TV show that I ever got when I was living here was in 95 was the Jenny Jones show. Uh, do you remember her? Oh, yes. I remember her very well. Spent a lot of, uh, uh, anytime I was homesick from school, it was always the Jenny Jones show was what I ended up watching. Okay. I, a lot of people, a lot of younger people aren't going to know who the hell she is. She was a really well-known comedian, really, a really well-known working uh, comedian for quite a number of years. And then she got that. That was when the, that's when those garbage junk uh, talk shows became a big thing. Her, Jerry Springer, all of those guys, Donahue, everybody was, you know, Maury Povich, all those guys all started blowing up at that time. And uh, she did all kinds of crazy stuff. And I saw, was watching the show and it said, hey, do you have an unusual talent? And uh, send us a video. So I sent them a video of me doing a human blockhead where you take the nail and you drive it in with the hammer. Yeah. And and I sent that in and I got the gig and it was my very first TV show. And uh, I learned a lot on that very first one. So much so that I, it made me really good to this day when I book uh, TV appearances because they didn't pay me. And I didn't even know that you could ask for money, uh, but they flew me out, put me in a hotel, fed me. I was like, this is great. I, I will be on TV. So the, the name of the show was Unusual Human Talents. We're in the green room and it was like a cattle room. Like everybody was crammed in there. It wasn't very nice. And uh, but I met this one guy there uh, and I'd seen him on other shows. It was this very muscular, tall uh, black guy. And he he would do jump roping stunts with like girls on his shoulder and on the sides. And he would jump rope with like three girls on him. It was great. Do th- he do push ups with his thumbs and stuff. It's fantastic. Um, and I was talking to him and I'm like, Oh my God, I've seen you on those other things. And he's like, well, yeah. He's like, you know, he's like, did you get your rate? And I'm like, what's that? And he was like, like a day rate. Like, I'm like, I don't know what that is. And he's like, Oh, you're not getting paid. I'm like, Oh, you're getting paid. He's like, yeah, you always get paid. I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing. (laughs) I'm just happy to be here. (laughs) So, uh, he, uh, schooled me for the next like two hours on what these kinds of shows are like and how you get paid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah. so even though I didn't get paid, I got paid because hanging out with that guy for uh, an entire day was a, a giant life lesson. I learned a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and I also learned that they lie to you, that TV producers will lie all day long to you. <laughs> and the n- real name of the show was totally useless talents. And so I was, yeah. So I was on the show with two, by the way, two very well-known performers who were like the the you know the the guest performers, not like part of what we were doing. Uh, Gallagher, yep, and the amazing Kreskin. Both of those guys really well known. 
Uh, and so I was, we were, I saw, I reason I figured out the name of the show is because one of the PAs, the production assistant had a clipboard and I, I saw the name of the show and it said totally useless talent. And I'm like, and I grabbed it. I'm like, Hey, is that the, I thought the name of the show was unusual human talents. And she's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just like, you know, just like the running, uh, name that we put on the, on the, on the board. Complete lie. <laughs> Wow. So and then uh, and then it came time for me to do my spot and I'm standing like off stage behind the 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 structure, you know, that's part of the staging and, and stuff. And then you learn what the backstage looks like, which is terrible. Mm. Uh, it's just like two by fours and stuff just nailed together. And then the, the the girls like all pumping me up. She's like, You ready? You ready? You ready? I'm like, Yeah, I'm fucking ready. I'm like, I'm, what, what are you talking about? And she's like, All right, go, go, go. And I'm like, Stop fucking pushing me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a, it was a life learning experience, and but it was a great one for me to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I I took what I learned that day and I parlayed that into many better experiences for me and more profitable for me. Up next, John and I talk about my first experience seeing his sideshow act and how it's seared into my brain. And he continues to share his random stories of weirdness and how they've helped him land gigs. That's coming up on Jeff Does Vegas. One of the next big shows I got was on Howard Stern. And uh, I did Howard Stern and I and the, how I got that gig was completely friggin' random to be honest with you i was doing a show in new york city in a bar in this nightclub bar uh opening up for this uh heavy metal band kind of thing and i saw this guy because i watched his show all the time the the e-show and the, the nbc show and i recognized one of the dudes in the bar i'm like oh that's a producer i've seen him on the show so i went up to him I'm like hey you're so and so i don't remember his name now but i'm like you're so and so from the howard stern show he's like yeah I was like, you need to have me on your show. And he's like, really? What do you do? And I, um, I, I took a bunch of uh, cocktail straws out of the cups and jammed them into my nose, like uh, like six or seven of them, jammed them all the way in. He's like, oh, my God, what else can you do? I was like, well, I can suck popcorn kernels up my nose and shoot them out of my eye sockets. And I can eat light bulbs and I can do this and I can do that. And he's like, what? He's like, do you have any video footage of this? I was like, I do. Uh so he gave me his, his information and then I, I sent it over to him. And like within a week, week and a half, I got booked for to be on the Howard Stern show. So of course, and I was on with, Oh God, what's the guy's name? Uh, he had that song, song. He caught me red handed banging on the bathroom floor. Oh God. Was it shaggy? Shaggy. Yeah. 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 That guy. I was on with him. <laughs> so he was in the green room next to my room. I was on first. I go on. I, uh, I, I take I do the popcorn thing they freak out I do the light bulb beating thing they freak out even more and I get done and everything and I'm walking back to the green room and Shaggy's coming out and he's like he looks at me he's like really man I gotta follow that shit <laughs> <laughs> he's like all I do is sing I was like dude you're like a rock star I'm just some schmo who like does dumb shit <laughs> he's like god damn man he's like now now everyone's all worked up now I gotta go in there and talk about singing <laughs> it was just really fun. It was just like a funny moment. So unbeknownst to me, uh, a producer for the Ripley's Believe It or Not TV show in L.A. was listening that morning. He called the studio, talked to somebody there and was like, hey, does that guy's act look as good as it sounds? And they're like, yeah, it's great. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he's like, cool. Like 30, 40 minutes after I left the studio, my phone rang and it was 
Ripley's producer going, I want, we want to build a whole segment around you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and oop, then I got on Ripley's believe it or not. Uh, so yeah. And it was just weird how that all just like worked out. Like that did this one thing and this one thing led to this thing, led to this thing. And yeah. And since then I've done a bunch of other, I, I got on the tonight show and I was on back. Well, when, um, uh, what's his name? Tom Green had had his talk show on MTV. I was on that show as well. And I got that off Craigslist, hilariously enough. <laughs> uh, and I also got the Tonight Show off Craigslist, hilariously enough. Because uh, back in the day, that's uh, they would fish for people in those 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 rooms uh, on those pages and stuff. And it was just it was just dumb luck. I just because I was on every day, man. I was not I'm nonstop work, 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 work. And I always tell people, man, you, nothing's going to be given to you. You got to go get it. Everything I got, I got pretty much. I got pretty much on my own, with, like nobody's help. Yeah. Um, except Howard Stern, obviously, he got me the the Ripley's thing because they they put him in contact. But and I, I, yeah, I wound up doing a Swedish television show, a talk show, the same way Craigslist, and uh, they they put out looking for this thing, and I thought it was like some goofy thing, and they were like shooting in New York City, and da da da, and it's big primetime Swedish TV show. I'm like, I don't know what these people are. Um, but they, I got booked for the gig. They sent a limo to pick me up and I'm like, wow, that's neat. So they drove me to the studio and I was on with, <laughs> this is the greatest. <laughs> I was on with dog, the bounty hunter, his wife, Beth and Joan rivers. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, like, this is the dumb. Like I tell people this stuff. I'm like, you never believe the dumb shit that happens to me. Yeah. And like and I get stuff in the weirdest, dumbest ways just because I'm I'm relentless with trying to find stuff. And I'll I'll look in every every avenue that I can get to try to to try to do to try to do what I love to do. And sometimes, I mean, trust me, I have failed hundreds of thousands of times compared to the hundreds of times I've succeeded. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that you're going to, if in this business, if you're not willing to fail and pick yourself up over and over and over and over again, you, you know, this is not the business for you because you're going to get told no a whole lot more than you ever get told. Yes. Yeah. You're going to hear no over and over and over again. You're not good enough. You're, you're too tall. You're too short. You're too fat. You're too thin. You're too this, you're too that. Everything. You're going to hear every reason for why you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's what show business is. So and then, um, yeah, the Tonight Show was really great, and uh, that that get, got me some really nice other like gigs, non TV related, obviously. But and then uh, one of the last gigs I got was uh, shows I did TV shows was a Late Late Show with James Corden. Oh wow! And uh, that was a really great show for me. Uh, he was so nice to work with. I can't say enough nice things about that guy. He was a pleasure to work with. I cannot say the same about the tonight show. (laughs) Um, It was a great honor to be on the tonight show. Like when we were getting ready for rehearsal to do blocking and everything, they had to sit in the audience and uh, Willie Nelson and his sister were playing, were warming, were, were like rehearsing their song and two seats over for me was Burt Reynolds. And I'm like, this this is my life. This is my life. <laughs> this is happening right now. And this is fucking great. <laughs> so super weird, funny, dumb shit uh, happens to me all the time. And it, I just sometimes I have to go back and I, I I should write a lot of it down because I don't I forget some of it. Um, but like, yeah, I just yeah. So I guess that's and then uh, 
And then I, uh, I was out on tour with a, a show called Masters of Illusion. Mm-hmm. It's a big uh, touring magic show, and they have a show in the CW with the same title, Masters of Illusion. Uh, and they had hired me on as a technical advisor and like head of the magic stuff because I, they knew I, I also build and create illusions for, for people. Uh, I used to do a lot more. I don't do as much now, but um, I did a lot. And they, they had heard about me and they're like, hey, we need somebody that can do this. And I'm like, they're like, you want to go out on a tour for three months? I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. So then I started touring with them and I wound up working them for, for quite a number of years. And then uh, another person, another magician heard about me. Uh, his name is Adam Trent, and he worked with a show called The Illusionists, mm-hmm. which is a big touring um, magic show. But he was going out on his own, and The Illusionists were like part producers of it. And he was like, "Hey, I heard about you. Would you come on and 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 run the technical, the magic side of all the magic stuff for me?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." So it was a good gig. Like, I mean, it was a decent offer. I also love being on tour; it's super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked with that, and then I got booked with The Illusionists, and then we were like. We played all over the place. I mean, I've, I've traveled everywhere with them. And uh, and then I came back to Las Vegas and uh, I started working with Zach Baggins from the Ghost Adventure show. Right. And um, a mutual friend put us together. And then that was like f- almost four years ago. <laughs> and uh, my first year, my first year there, first year, yeah, like my first year there, he found out that I was really into researching like stuff of revolving around the occult, uh, specifically around like satanic and demonic stuff. Mm-hmm. And big surprise, the guy that looks like this <laughs> loves that kind of stuff, right? And uh, so we started talking about stuff and he's like, hey, I got an investigation I'm doing here in Las Vegas and I'd love to have you come on as like the satanic expert. I'm like, great. He's like, do you know a lot about symbols and stuff? I'm like, yeah, I know a lot about stuff. stuff. And um, so he had me on. I've been working with him now for almost going on four years and it's a great relationship. He's a great guy to work with. Um, and another one of those guys can't say enough good things about him. Solid dude. Like I see people say a lot of bad shit about him on the internet and I'm like, you, uh, you don't know the guy that I know right. and I know him on a personal level and he is a solid guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and does a lot of stuff behind the scenes and is very generous to a lot of people. And, you know, so whatever people want to talk shit about him, they're all stupid because they don't know anything about the dude. Yeah. So, and, and like his mom is wonderful. His mom runs the gift shop and it's, it's really, it's an awesome place to, I get to perform five days a week doing sideshow stuff and also talking about paranormal stuff and talking about oddities and weird shit. All the things I love, I get to do every day of the week. It's great. Uh, it's a great gig. And you know, the awesome thing is, is I, I have the freedom, like when I have other gigs and I need to leave, it's perfectly fine. So I can leave, go in and out of town whenever I want and everything is awesome. So, and then, uh, and then that brings us up to the current thing. We're almost about just about a year ago this week. Um, we got, I got a call from a mutual, from a friend of mine uh, named uh, Doug. And we had done a show a couple of years ago, like a couple of one-offs called Late Night Magic. It was just like this, um, this, this fr- mutual friend of Doug's and I, uh, his name Michael Mayfield, close-up magician here in town. I met him when I did a, a charity event uh, here in Vegas, and he was like, "Hey, man, I really love to get like together, like a, a late night magic show for just for adults, and it's just like." like crazy magicians that, and you can do whatever you want. You can tell the dirtiest jokes you want and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. So we scheduled the first one. 
lined up the cast. Everything was cool. And then we're going to do it like once a month. We started doing it once a month. and It was great. And then um, we moved venues. And then COVID hit. And then everything stopped. Right. Then January of last year, when COVID was still a thing, but stuff had opened back up here in town. Um, I got a call from Doug and he's like, hey, man, we're getting the band back together. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> he's like, uh, we got this thing. We have an executive producer, this guy who's producing a bunch of other shows here in town at this one place called Alexis Park Resort, which is a, an all suites resort um, hotel thing here in, in Vegas, right near the Virgin Hotel. Uh-huh. And um, he's like, we want to we want you to be part of the show because we're looking to have a, a, a unique, varied diverse cast so there's like me the weirdo freak show magic dirty foul mouth guy yeah right and does all the crazy stuff and and that's going to be you my character he's like we have a, a a female hypnotist mentalist doing her thing uh a buddy of mine bizarro who does like weird magic and it's like, like corny weird like goofy weird just bizarre bizarre because he's bizarro um <laughs> unusual magic and then uh, this uh, this uh, guy Mandre uh, who's a black magician, um, and but he does classic magic like doves and all that kind of stuff and manipulation, and with like the, the suit the the tail coat and all, like so, like you couldn't have five more different people on a stage anywhere. Like none of us are remotely like each other. And then uh, they stuck us all together, and they were like, "Hey, we're going to do this thing, and we're going to make a show, and we're going to do it every Friday and Saturday night." I'm like. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> so we started doing it and they were like, it'll probably last maybe three, four, five months. I'm like, ah, it's cool. Whatever. It'd be fun. So we started doing it. And as we we're going, I was like, man, I really like to add, I was like some magic. Like, cause I wasn't doing really any magic. I was doing mostly just all sideshow stuff, but I love magic and I love doing magic. And I was like, man, I really like to add a magic trick in. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I do this trick or make it snow and stuff. It's kind of cool. And he's like, okay, cool. So I started working on that. And then with the help of some of the other guys, the, the performers, I started throwing out ideas to how to, how to make it different than everybody else was doing it. And the routine that I do to now is, a, a, you know, a culmination of all those, all those people helping me. And that's the great thing about this cast is, we all interact so well together, even though we're completely different from each other. Mm-hmm. And um, then I, I just I wanted to add uh, illusions into the show because I I love illusions and I and I always loved doing bigger magic tr- tricks. And so we were able to add in one thing every once in a while, and then I started adding illusions and stuff. And I was doing it with one of the other female magicians in the show. And we would do it every once in a while. And then we moved rooms and uh, into a little bit more of an intimate room, but it was an actual theater. And it was, and so we, it was a lot more, it was a lot better for us, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, so we started doing shows in there and then we kept going and going and going. And uh, uh, a friend of mine who I had known for a couple of years uh, who lived here in Vegas, I actually met her. She was a tour guide at the museum and she had uh, an offhanded time. One time she's like, man, I really want to get in boxes and get cut in half. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, well, I just happen to own a bunch of boxes and I could stab you and cut you in half. <laughs> and she's like, I'm in. And uh, so uh, then we decided to partner up and, uh, and everything. And, uh, and now she works in the show uh, with me doing the illusions and we're building up a bigger show together 
uh, to take on to like cruise ships and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's been, it's been, it's been great. So now I have somebody who just works with me uh, and it doesn't have to be one of the other female magicians in the show. So uh, she's been doing the show now with me for, for a couple of months and, and stuff. And it's been awesome. So it's like, you know, it's, it's just kind of fun to have somebody that, that I can, I can do all that stuff with. And she's totally down for like, whatever she like, it's like, stick me in whatever. I don't care. I just want to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. She's, she's a, she's a great, great girl. I wanted to talk about the sideshow stuff that you do, because this was yeah. my first exposure to you. I saw you at a Monday's dark and uh, yeah. you, I believe in that show, I want to say you did sword swallowing. I'm pretty sure you ate and spat fire. You yes. you stuck a drill you stuck a drill up your nose. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you swallowed a balloon. Yes. I did all those things. <laughs> and, and that was several years ago. And so it's scarred yes. into my brain that I still remember all these things. Yeah. So I mean the question and it's one of those questions, I guess, probably the big question. Why? <laughs> <laughs> and and how like how does this come to your brain well there's a couple of ways to answer that question i, I and i get that s almost religiously every day at the museum um i'll answer it this way uh why the the, the main reason is just like the, i have a passion for this kind of entertainment and i have since i was 10 years old which is when i was first exposed to it uh when i was 10 i went to a circus with my family called the Clyde Beatty Colbar, the circus. They had a sideshow there and I got chosen out of the crowd to pull the sword from a sword swallower. And I was like, that's for me. And I was already doing magic at that point. Like I started doing magic around eight, but this was real. And there was fire eaters and sword swallowers and snake girls. I really liked the girl stuff. Like, Oh, put girls in boxes. And like, this is great. And little tiny costumes. I was 10. I didn't know why I liked it, but I knew I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it seemed very alluring. So I was like, I want to, whatever these guys are doing seems like a lot of fun. And uh, so then I started exploring more of that stuff. And I started like teaching myself very poorly how to eat fire when I was like 11 years old, 11, 12 years old. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. And I put fire eating in my magic show. Like I used to do, and it was a terrible routine because I, I still have video footage of it uh, somewhere of like early fire eating act. It was just awful. And torches were so tiny. And like now the ones I use now are fucking huge and giant fireballs. And it's great. But my early days, not so good. Uh, and then when I was about, when I was around 15, I was, I was like, I want to swallow swords. And then I started asking people when the circus would come to town, I would ask people, how do you do that? And the guy's like, why do you want to learn that? I'm like, because I want to swallow swords because <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> and uh, one of the very first person ever told me, like, he's like, well, you get like a little dagger and then you just kind of like you, 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 you sand it so that it's smooth. And then you just keep shoving it in your mouth until you don't choke on it anymore. That was quite literally the very first advice I ever got in my entire life. <laughs> and that's pretty much what I did. <laughs> It was not safe. It was not good. I hurt myself so bad, <laughs> but I finally did it. And I, and um, nowadays I, it, when people ask me advice on it, I, I've, there's much better ways and techniques I've learned. And also I know some of the best sword swallowers in the world. I'm definitely not one of the best sword swallowers in the world. I'm just really fun and entertaining. Um, and then, uh, and then when I was like 17, I had an opportunity during the summertime when not in school to go out on the road with the Clyde Beatty Cole Brothers circus. 
and it was an East Coast circus, and they started in Florida. They went up and down the coast pretty much, and uh, and I I went out and I worked on the circus for a few months out of the out of like three months, uh, and that's and and that was my first jump into that world, and it was amazing, absolutely amazing. Living in a circus and working circus people and you know like riding on elephants and like it's just it's fucking amazing. Yeah, that's the <laughs> dream, literally. isn't it? Like that's the, every kid says they're going to run away and join the circus. I just, I mean, I look back at my at some of my life, and I'm like, God damn, I did some cool shit, <laughs> right? I, I could die tomorrow, and I've done way more shit than people. You know, well, now I'm old, but <laughs> <laughs> back then I did more than people twice my age. <laughs> that's just insane. Now you mentioned injuries, and I assume you've you've been injured i mean what are and is and this is one of those things that i'm sure you show up at the emergency room and they just go oh god like really again (laughs) um most of my injuries a lot of my injuries uh sideshow related were always from fire uh i i blew up i things go i burned myself lit myself on fire a multitude of times um in the in the learning phases and then sometimes accidents just happen sure uh, especially when you're working outside i've done a lot of shows outside and wind is not your friend and it can turn a good fire blast into an inter- a really really terrible moment in your life very quickly mm-hmm. and i've had quite a few of those um i've had my lips burned so bad that they were swollen i had to lance them and drain the fluid out like every so often I've burnt off my eyebrows, my eyelashes, the, the inside of my in my nose hair completely gone, torched my my face. Yeah, bunches of times. I mean, it hasn't happened in a long time now because I'm. But back in the days, like yeah, it, it's it, there's a learning curve, and it, it hurt. I'm kind of amazed that you actually have any facial hair at all because i know like i i think i was about 19 years old and i nearly blew my face off with a barbecue and my eyelashes are still grow (laughs) in a weird direction from that so again i'm kind of like wow he's actually got facial hair so that's pretty impressive you must be uh doing something right (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. well you learn you learn things over time and, and sometimes you learn stuff by accident and I, and I have learned a lot of things by accident. Um, one time, uh, because my hair is blonde, naturally, um, I have to dye my hair and my beard uh, frequently. And one time I didn't have uh, beard dye in enough and my mustache was really turning blonde. And the only thing I had was mascara. And I took mascara and I just I colored in the beard with it because that's all I had. And then I was doing I was doing my fire act, and then I got done, and I noticed it didn't singe as bad. And I was like, "Huh?" And it was the mascara that was protecting it uh, because it coated it, I guess, in a way. I mean, it didn't protect it completely because obviously, you put enough heat, it's going to melt it no matter what. But yeah, yeah, it, it definitely protected. I was like, "Oh, that's kind of neat." So then I started doing stuff where my hair it was I had a, like a blonde beard, and then I would color in part of it black, and so it was like two colors, and like. I experimented a lot with facial hair all through the nineties and, and uh, two thousand early nineties, mid nineties into the two thousands with my facial hair has changed a multitude of times throughout the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. It used to be a super intricate and stuff. Now I don't have the patience for that. Wow. <laughs> Again. I mean, I, I remember seeing you at Monday's dark and seeing what you did and just being 
horrified and mesmerized and mystified all at the same time. And I would imagine that's a, a relatively common reaction. The great thing about the stuff that I do and, and, and all sideshow people, really, it's 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 a, it's it's the same thing. Like when you look at a, a car wreck or a train wreck and you're driving by, you drive it down slow. It's like because you want to see it, but you don't want to see it, but you really kind of do want to see it. Um, it's that morbid fascination with things that are bizarre and weird. And am I supposed to look at this? Am I going to, you know, it's, it's like the kid, in, you know, like putting your hand in the cookie jar, you know, are you going to get caught watching something you're not supposed to because it's taboo, you know? And um, yeah, I guess, I guess certain things that I do check those boxes for people, you know, where they're like horrified, but they also kind of like it. Yeah. Like, I've gotten some very interesting things said to me throughout the years uh, by people. I remember, I remember at the museum, I did my act and one girl was looked at me. She's like, I don't know if I'm disgusted or turned on or both. I don't even know. I don't even know how to feel about that. She's like, I'm oddly attracted to you, but I'm horrified by you. And I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> my my work here is done. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I just looked at it. I was like, I I don't even know what to say because no one's ever said that to me before. Uh, but it's like, yeah, I mean, people like people have different reactions to the things I do, and it's kind of neat because I you never know what you're going to get, and I, and people have weird phobias, and a lot of the stuff I do plays on those phobias, especially with like the eye hook thing, right? Put <sighs> the the fish hooks in my eyes and swing the paint can. Uh, that one tends to mess people up probably the most because if you've ever gotten a hair in your eye, it's awful. Uh, and if you can, that, and it's weird because people, it's, it's like a sympathetic thing where they're feeling it for you. And, and, and they're like, and I see them cringe and they're, ah, and they start making weird faces. And it's super hilarious to me because they don't even know they're doing it at the time. And uh, I, I just find it incredibly entertaining on my end. But I don't understand what it is that's, you know, like, I never looked at this stuff and cringed. I was like, oh, I was like, I want to do that, you know, or they're those like, oh, my God, why the hell would you do that? Um, which getting back to the why thing, uh, it was a great interview by Evil Knievel one time. And he was on a talk show, Tom Snyder, and he was interviewing Evil Knievel. And he was like, why do you do this to yourself? Like you crash and you break all your bones and all this stuff and you almost die. And why, why would you do this? And he literally said the greatest thing. And I've never forgotten it. Uh, this quote from evil Knievel, where he was like, there's two kinds of people in the world, gladiators and spectators, gladiators achieve glory in the arena of life and spectators watch those people. Which one are you? And can you ever look at him and he's like, I'm a gladiator. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm a gladiator. <laughs> because every time I, I go to a show, I, I'm like, there's a part of me that's like, oh, I want to be on that stage right now. Yeah. You know, I want to be doing that. And, and, and he said that too. He was like, I have a hard time going to watch other people because I want to be the one in the arena. And I'm like, I feel that a hundred percent every time. There's nothing more fun for me out of all the things I've done in life. And I've done a lot of nefarious things <laughs> and, and being on stage and, and entertaining people and, and watching their faces either be horrified, whatever reaction it is. Uh, you know, art is a weird and subjective thing. It's meant to get a reaction out of somebody. It doesn't matter what the reaction is, whether they hate it, love it, 
or in, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. As long as you're getting a reaction from somebody, it's art. Mm -hmm. That's what that's, you know, kind of what the definition really is. And I find it incredibly fascinating watching people watch me and how they perceive me as a person and like what I'm like in real life, you know, cause people have like these weird things of like, Oh my God, he does that. So he must be crazy when he's at home. And I'm like, you think I sit at home with like a power drug? Like, I mean, <laughs> but people think that I've had people say, Oh, do you eat fire at home? I'm like, what? And I'm like, yeah, no, I just sit around going, Hey, you know, honey, here, watch this. You know, I mean, it's, like no i i watch netflix <laughs> you know? uh john i just want to thank you for taking the time to uh to jump on the podcast and chat with me share your story with me and my listeners uh it's been excellent getting caught up with you and learning all about you i really really do appreciate it so again uh thank you thank you very very much hey, thank you Jeff. i appreciate it man <laughs> If you want to learn more about John Shaw, follow him on Instagram at John Shaw Magic or on Twitter at John Shaw 666. Also, be sure to find and follow him on Facebook. Just search John Shaw. And if you want to see John and the whole crew from Late Night Magic, you can get tickets by visiting TicketKite.com or the special Jeff Does Vegas affiliate link at Vegas.com. As usual, you can find all these links in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. And that wraps up another episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. The Jeff Does Vegas podcast is a Walker New Media production.